Welcome to Sunday Morning at First Presbyterian Church. I'm Pastor Danny Deeth, and in response to the events of the amazing resurrection at Easter, it now becomes our job to discern how we respond to the events of Holy Week and Christ being raised from the dead. We are to discern how we are being led to live, to change our lives, to care for others, to welcome others to Christ's table. This is our call and our challenge. Let's do this together. Come on in. Our first lesson comes from Romans 11, 1 through 2a, and also verses 29 through 32. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Just as you were once disobedient to God, but have now received mercy because of their disobedience, so they have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they too may now receive mercy. For God has imprisoned all in disobedience so that he may be merciful to all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading is Genesis 45, 1 through 15. It is Joseph and his brothers. Vicki gave you some of that. And this is right at the end of the Joseph narrative. So let me give it to you and set it up a little bit before I read the passage. So we know that Joseph's father, Jacob, and Rachel had these children, these boys. Um, Leah and some other ones were involved with, with this as well. But Jacob, the father, loved Joseph the best. How do we know? First, gives him the coat of many colors. Yes, Broadway musical, Donny Osmond, the whole thing. Yes, he gets a coat of many colors that his, brother, his brothers do not get. So they're starting to be dissension. They're starting to get jealous. Then Joseph has a couple of dreams where he dreams that his brothers are bowing to him. One of those are kind of stalks of, of wheat and grain, and then another is the stars in the sky, but they will all bow to him, which he happily shares with his brothers. They don't appreciate that or welcome that so well. So finally, it gets to the point where they decide, as Vicky said, they need to get rid of Joseph. They have had enough. And so... After debating on what they are going to do to him, they eventually throw him in a pit and then wind up selling him into slavery from some passing Ishmaelites that go to Egypt. So Joseph hops on, they go back and they tell Jacob that their beloved son, his son, Joseph, is dead. Put some ketchup or hot sauce on his coat of many colors, told him an animal tore him up thinks he's dead. So now the story continues with Joseph in Egypt. So he is sold to Potiphar, 
I don't hear too many Potiphar's in the world. A lot of people name Potiphar. That's such a great name. It's not really. Potiphar is the captain of Pharaoh's guard. Okay, Pharaoh is just the king of Egypt. So Potiphar is highly placed and buys Joseph as his servant, in-house servant. And we don't know the length of time, but after a number of years, Potiphar grows to trust Joseph. Joseph must have leadership skills and personal relational skills so great that he develops friendships among Potiphar's family. But then conflict comes in because Potiphar's wife, who's been kind of watching Joseph, good-looking young Hebrew fellow, makes advances toward Joseph, which Joseph does the right thing and says, no, no, no. Finally, she grabs him one day when it's just two of them in the house, Joseph and Potiphar's wife. She makes a move on him, grabs his cloak. He twists and gets out of it and runs out of the house. So the first thing we learn is Joseph needs to stop wearing coats. Because what happens now is that Potiphar's wife, because she's upset that Joseph continues to reject her, takes his cloak that she just ripped off of him and says, look, he made advances at me unwanted. He attacked me. Look, this coat is proof. And so they have Joseph imprisoned. And he is there for a certain amount of time. And just like in Potiphar's family, in this community, this prison community where he's a prisoner, he befriends the warden and the whole structure and winds up running the prison as a prisoner. Then while he's in his cell, he has two cellmates. One is the cup bearer to Pharaoh. So it's the guy who holds the king's cup. When he's thirsty, holds the royal cup, cup bearer. And then the other is the baker. And they both have dreams while they are together in that prison cell. Joseph is able to interpret both of those dreams. Now the baker was told from his dream that he will be executed, and he was. Sorry. The cup maker, the cup holder, serves his time for whatever he did and then is reestablished into Pharaoh's court with Pharaoh. So we fast forward now several years. And Pharaoh, king of Egypt, is having some weird dreams and he doesn't know what to make of them and he wants some help. And the cupbearer, oh, he's holding there, staying right next to Pharaoh. Oh, there was a guy when I was in prison, this Hebrew guy, and he would interpret dreams. Why don't you go ask him? So bring Joseph up. And Pharaoh's dreams were to indicate that there were going to be seven years of plenty as far as food and wheat and plenty to eat for everybody, but then there's going to be seven years of famine. No food for anybody. And so Pharaoh brings Joseph on to be in charge of the process of gathering in the seven bountiful and prosperous years, uh, filling all of their storehouses with wheat and grain and everything that they need to survive the next seven years of famine. And again, Joseph rises through the community, through his uh, obvious leadership skills and relationship skills and winds up highly placed in Pharaoh's administration. And it's here that we come into our passage for today. We're two years in to the first or to the seven years of famine. 
Okay, so Joseph has done his job to collect all the food. For, so Egypt is fine, but now Joseph's brothers that wanted to kill him, threw him in the pit, sold him into slavery to Egypt. They come because their hometown is, uh, they're in the midst of a famine. They have no food. They have no other choice but to come to Egypt and hope that Pharaoh will take mercy on them and give them some food. They have no idea Joseph is alive and there. And so into the court comes the brothers and Joseph recognizes them. Genesis 45, 1 through 15. Uh, there's a little bit of back and forth as well. He monkeys with them a little bit just to toy with them, but we're in a good spot here at 45. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, send everyone away from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph, is my father still alive? But his brothers couldn't answer him, so dismayed were they at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come closer to me. And they came closer, he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into, to, to Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years and there are five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry up and go to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not delay. You shall settle in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children, as well as your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. I will provide for you there. Since there are five more years of famine to come, that you and your household and all that you have will not come to poverty. And now your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my own mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father how greatly I am honored in Egypt and all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, second time, while Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So there's a lot going on here. We have our hierarchy, Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebecca, Jacob and Rachel and Leah and a few others that get us to Joseph. Jacob, Joseph's father, you remember they changed his name to Israel after he wrestled with the angel in that weird story, put his thigh bone out of socket and he limped from that point forward, str struggled, wrestled with the angel all night. So from Jacob, Israel, comes these sons that will evolve into the 12 tribes of Israel. They're not there yet, but they are becoming. And so this is a crucial piece 
that Joseph enables the household of Israel to be formed because of his ability to forgive them. Now, there's a lot going on here. I just want to touch on forgiveness. You know he forgave them. Think of all of the things that you carry with you. Think about the people that you have not been able to forgive in your lifetime. Maybe it is a spouse, maybe someone in your family, maybe someone at work, maybe someone at school, maybe you were humiliated, maybe someone took credit for you, maybe you got fired because of somebody else, maybe this, maybe that, all those difficult things that we carry, Joseph had every reason to wipe out his brothers. All he needed to do was snap his fingers off with their heads, they would be gone with no discussion. But by the time they get to him, it's as if he has overcome and said, I can't maintain this illusion anymore. He knew they were with him. They did not know he was Joseph. He says, I can't take it anymore. I am your brother. It's me, Joseph, whom you sold in slavery, threw in the pit, told my father I was dead. He's got a case, doesn't he? to be angry and not forgive, but it's as if it's not even about forgiving the brothers, it is about his ability to release the hate and the anger that he had for them. We know that hate does that to us, right? If someone wronged us long ago, we carry that with us, does that hurt that other person? (laughs) No, they may have forgotten about you a long time ago, but you're gonna carry that banner, you're gonna continue to be angry and harbor hatred for that person, and who does that hurt? It hurts you, because that's bubbling, it's festering. In this case, it's as if Joseph is finally able to say, I can forgive my brothers because they have come to this place. I can tell them that it's me and I know what they did, and he wept twice in, this, in these 15 verses. He was so overcome with emotion, he wanted to love them again and be family again and forgive them, even though he had every right to continue to be angry with them. That's our first lesson. Think about who and what it is that we carry that is anger toward other people that we have control over. I'm not talking about politics. I'm not talking about national or international things. You can be angry at those things, but a lot of time we don't have control over those things. What is it that in your personal life you have been harboring that you need to let go? Who do you need to forgive? And maybe you need to go to someone and give them the blessing of apologizing to them so they can forgive you as well for something you have done. We're all there. We're on both sides of that. It's a part of life. So second, God provided for Joseph all along the way, but he didn't know what his next step was. Think about this. Joseph's brothers seek to do away with him. He's in a pit. He's sold in slavery, separated from his family and his people. He has every right to say, why God, why has this happened? And we know that it's going to be okay because we know the end of the story, but he didn't know in that first moment in the pit and then being sold, that could be the end of his life as he knows it. He doesn't know what's going to happen. Why has God done this to me? Where is God? 
but it gets better for Joseph, right? Nope. He's out of the pit, he's alive, but then because of Potiphar's wife, he's in prison and we think he's there for 10 to 13 years. We don't know exactly how long. It's two years after he has the dream with the cupbearer and the baker, but prior to that, he had to be there long enough to win the praise of the, the, the warden and be in charge of the prison as a prisoner. Into Potiphar's house first, right? Being sold there. All was well, he was doing fine, doing his job. Falsely accused of a horrible crime. He would have every right to say, well, I've, I've just been in a pit, I've just been sold, and now I'm going to prison for no reason? Where is God in this? Why is this happening? And then into prison for a significant amount of time. 10, 13 years in that zone before he is brought out to claim his role in Pharaoh's hierarchy. The thing is that Joseph never said, God, where are you? God knew, Joseph knew where God was. And in those moments of difficulty, it's very easy for us when we experience moments of hurt and brokenness and sadness to say, where is God? And God is right there saying, I am here. You are not alone. Joseph seemed to know that. All of those things that Vicky read out that the children read. How do I know that God is with me in difficult moments? We seek to open ourselves to know that God is with us through our prayer time, our scripture time, through song through all of the things that we do that seek to connect us to God one-on-one. -on -one. There's a piece of that Joseph never lost the understanding that God was with him. And then two, a significant part to me is that he excelled in every community he was a part of, even though he was there unjustly in several of those. First in Potiphar's house, and it wasn't just Potiphar, Potiphar's wife and Joseph, it would have been Potiphar's house and he was wealthy. So it would have been his whole uh, set of children and their families. He didn't say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a slave here. It's not my fault. I shouldn't be here. He bloomed where he was planted. And with God, God's help through his interaction with the community and the people there, his relationship skills and his leadership skills, he grew. When he went to prison, he was there unjustly. He could have said, no, I'm going to sit in the corner by myself. But he got to know everyone there involved. He bloomed where he was planted and through that community was able to rise. Then finally, that last piece of Pharaoh and his court wasn't just that he was the interpreter, that just got him to Pharaoh. Again, in that community, he got to know people, shared his skills, his relationship skills, and then he too, in that setting, rose. One of the things that we need to remind ourselves in times of difficulty and brokenness, whether it is physical, mental, financial, 
in any way, we find ourselves in moments of anxiety and depression, treating diseases, maybe it's those that we love that are in difficult places, a part of the design that Joseph and God teach us is that we need to reach out to our communities in which we are planted. This community, First Presbyterian Church, is one of those. If we, like Joseph, are not trusting one another, are not becoming vulnerable enough to say, I need help with one another, are we scarcely above a social club where we come and we wave and say, see you next week? Because we're afraid to let other people know that we are struggling. We had uh, a Shih Tzu when we moved to Columbus. Little cute white fluffy dog. It was our first dog as a family. The girls were little. They were scared of a dog. And this was a perfect little timid sweet dog. Bailey was his name. And toward the end of his life, when he was hurt or something was wrong with him, he would go off into a corner and lay down and stare at the wall, separate himself from the rest of us who love him and would have helped him, and he knew that, but still that instinct was to separate and get away and be alone in his pain. We do that to ourselves in the same way. Sometimes we say, well, I don't want everybody to know my business or... I don't want somebody else to have to stop and to pray for me when there's so many other people who are hurting worse than I am. I don't want anybody to have to bring me a meal, take the time out of their day, so on and so forth. What we are doing is no different than our sad little dog. We are isolating ourselves. We refuse to let others know that we need help. And more than that, you are robbing, we are robbing other church members' opportunity to reach out to you, to be a disciple to you, to share God's love and God's grace with you when we withhold our hurts from the rest of the family. But when we can come to a place where we spend enough time with each other that we can trust each other with one another, all you have to say is, you know what, I've been having a hard time. Preacher, will you pray for me, please? How hard is that? You can say that to anyone in this room, that is the beginning. And the more that we can share in appropriate love and respect of one another, the more that we become a family and the more that together we rise. Joseph did it and we are being called to embrace this community as more than folks who wave at each other on Sunday, but those who are living this season of our life together. We're a gift to one another God has given us. So let us with faith, with vulnerability, let us with the idea that we are sharing God's love with one another when we both ask and provide help for others. Let us know that the bigger picture is ahead of us when we are in difficult moments. Joseph never knew what was coming. He just had to deal with the issue that was at hand God gave him those tools. And then let us forgive those we need to forgive and ask forgiveness from those that we need to ask forgiveness from. And in doing so, we will see and feel 
the presence of God's Holy Spirit as individuals, as a church family, and then in the community. Hallelujah. Amen.